Hey listeners, welcome back to the next episode of Ladies First, your podcast featuring truly amazing and inspiring women. It's Alina here, and today I'm with Rebecca L. Fleischman, a program director at Oscar Health and on Forbes 30 Under 30 list. So thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I noticed that you started your career in education and kind of made a switch to healthcare. What prompted you to make that switch? Yeah, I was, um, when I first graduated from college, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I decided to be a teacher because I always loved working with kids. And I thought that would be um, a place that I, I thought at the time that I could see myself being a teacher for a long time. So I started in the classroom and realized that while I didn't love being in the classroom, I did love working with kids and families. And so I transitioned into a role that had me overseeing special education for students at, in a school in Brooklyn. And during within that role and during that time, I saw the impact of the lack of uh, resources available for kids and families struggling with behavioral health or um, with a learning disorder. And so that kind of got me thinking about the importance of this work and set me on the path to go down that road. So then I moved to an organization where I developed and led large-scale national mental health treatment programs and capacity building programs, and then eventually moved on to where I am now, um, leading the behavioral health program for a health insurance company. So it was really, um, there is a bit of a through line there, but it really did start with seeing the impact um, on kids and families when there's not good care available. So I'm sure you bring a lot of skill sets that you learned in education, you know, to your current role. What are some of those skills that you kind of overlap? Oh gosh. I mean, I am the first to get on my soapbox about how amazing teachers are. And I was not an amazing teacher. Um, that was, it, it's really hard to be a teacher. Uh, it's really hard to be a bad teacher nonetheless be a good teacher. So um, I have a lot of respect for teachers. And I think one thing that teachers excel at um, is juggling multiple priorities at the same time and being able to quickly focus and then refocus. Um, it's hard to do that when you have a lot of competing priorities coming at you and changing priorities. Um, being able to think that way and think on the fly is really helpful um, and it is applicable really in any work environment. Otherwise, um, things that I learned, uh, working in a school environment, relationships are really the most important thing. Um, and that has been, um, a really good lesson that I've been able to take with me in every environment I've worked in. And I think it, it served me well because ultimately your people working with other, your person working with other people trying to do good work. And if you can keep top of mind that you're just a person doing a job, I think that goes a really long way. Um, and always assuming the best out of the people that you're working with. Um, you can, you can really cover more ground and get further together than if you do something that's a little more antagonistic in approach. So there's definitely a lot. I think I tell everyone, like, if you can hack it as a teacher, I, you're probably capable of doing anything. I think teachers are the most incredible. So what does your day-to-day -day life look like when you're working? Well, now it looks like waking up and going to my couch and then moving to my desk and then maybe moving back to my couch. But um, if you're asking more about the content of my days, um, at this point, I... I sit in a lot of meetings related to strategy and where to take the company um, in a kind of longer term time horizon with behavioral health. So behavioral health, um, for those who don't know, behavioral health encompasses mental health as well as some other things. Um, the example I often give is uh, substance use and alcohol use. Um, so behavioral health is all things that fall under that umbrella. So it's everything from anxiety and depression to 
you know, kind of um, more inpatient treatment. Um, so thinking through how to create the best in class um, behavioral health model that integrates well with the medical model. Um, so it's a lot of meetings, it's a lot of strategy, it's a lot of working through different problems and seeing where we can be innovative and do something that maybe hasn't been done before to solve a problem that we're all experiencing. I think, as we know, healthcare in this country uh, there's a lot of room for improvement and there are a lot of things that aren't done so well. And so um, thinking through instead of, you know, maintaining the status quo, how can we do something that's better and is going to meet people where they need to be met? Prior to that, um, when I was developing programs that were school-based, um, it was a lot of the same, honestly, a lot of the same, but a different problem. Um, how do you get resources to kids in the school setting um, and what needs to happen and what services are going to work best and how do you measure that your programs are working. And so it's the same central questions that come up over and over. It's just in how you apply them and, and um, you know, what you're driving towards as a solution. So what do you, you know, you're currently working with telemedicine. So what do you view as some of like the positive and challenges you found with it? Yeah, telemedicine is an interesting one. Um, we've seen utilization increase. Um, which is not a surprise to anyone because getting to a clinician's office is now more challenging than ever. Um, and for many months, depending on where you, where you live in the country, um, office visits are kind of preserved for the most acute care. Um, and so maybe going to an office is not possible right now. Um, so a lot of, so what's good about it? Um, some people feel like it's more accessible to reach out to for support online. Um, there are a lot of really good platforms out there that make online behavioral health care accessible, um, where you can basically sign up and put in your information and be matched with a provider who can help you with whatever it is that you need support with. And so there are a lot of tools out there um, that have become more accessible for people. On the flip side, um, some people have experienced greater barriers to accessing care by being um, totally telehealth-based. So for example, for those who don't have reliable or consistent internet access, um, now they're having a really hard time accessing care. Or for individuals who maybe don't feel safe engaging in therapy um, in their home and actually they leave their house for a reason to go get therapy, um, now that's been made more challenging. And so there's a real pro and con with telehealth, I think, um, one thing that we will probably, and this is my hypothesis, but I think that we're going to see um, post-COVID era that some patients are going to go back to um, in-person care. I think there's going to be a reverberation there, um, but that telehealth use will be higher than what it was pre-COVID. So I, I could see both being um, kind of adopted long-term, but there's a lot of innovation that can be done with telehealth, and we see that in the space. There are just a lot of um, really cool companies doing work in the telehealth space, so I think it's definitely something to keep your eye on um, for those who are interested in it. So of the cons that you were talking about, you know, what are you guys doing to try and cater to those or, or you know, lessen those for people? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. So one of the big things is providing really good education around the tools and platforms. So um, letting people know what's available to them and walking people through it step by step so that it doesn't become something that is 
overwhelming and burdensome. There's a lot going on right now. People have a lot of things to be worried about. And so you want to break it down and make it as accessible as possible. We also do a lot of support following up with our members. Um, so we'll, we will reach out and send a message. We will get on the phone and give them a call. So really walking people through um, how to access the support that they need. And then if that doesn't work, we always have in-person options for people so that they, they don't have to go with telehealth only. It's just one option um, within a whole toolkit, but certainly not the only thing. So you kind of hit tele telemedicine at the most opportune time, you know. Yeah. So what are the challenges you specifically face with the significant growth, you know, you're probably enduring with the current times? Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting time. So I'm working on plans that um, kind of are, are taking an innovative approach. And I think one of the things that's challenging is um, always kind of capturing the opportunity at the right time and making sure that you're creating something that um, is evergreen, that's going to withstand the test of time. And so we find ourselves in a really interesting moment where the world at the at this point in time is so different than it was one year ago. Um, and so creating something that's responsive to this moment in time that will also have longevity as things change in the future, whether it's one year from now or five years from now, um, is always a, a kind of perplexing challenge. Um, and the behavioral health landscape continues to change as well. By and large, for the better, there's more awareness um, with awareness there's some stigma busting that can happen, which is really, really important. Um, and with that, then there's opportunity for new solutions. So I think it's, um, it's a tough challenge to solve, but it's one that we'll continue to, to kind of chip away at. So in your opinion, what do you think is, you know, the, the necessary steps to take to get on the 30 under 30 list? Oh gosh. Um, I think, I get asked this a lot. It's really funny. Um, and I think, so I'll tell you what I uh, did, which was um, I just did my job. I, I was in a job that I cared a lot about and dedicated a lot of um, my time and energy kind of mental headspace to um, and built something that I felt really passionate about. And um, that was it. And so, I mean, pragmatically, um, if someone nominates you, you can get on the list. Um, and there's, I think it's just a submission form that you fill out for someone and people nominate themselves too. Um, so that's kind of the how of it. Um, my understanding of what people or of what the Forbes team looks for is people who are doing something that is innovative or different to um, advance their field. So I'm on the, um, the list for education and the work that was captured kind of for that was the work that I did to build um, and scale national programs that brought mental health treatment to the school setting. And so that was just something that that really hadn't been done before. I was leading the charge on it. And so that, that kind of peaked attention, I guess, and got me on the list. Um, so the other thing I know is that there's a, there's, there are panels assigned to each of the focus areas and they evaluate um, the, the candidates. So if anyone is interested in um, getting on the Forbes list, I think that's, it, there's probably more information online, but I would say in terms of like the best place to dedicate your energy um, is, rather than dedicating your energy to getting on the Forbes list, dedicate your energy to doing something you care a lot about and, and let that um, 
kind of carry you forward. So do you work with a lot of other, you know, young entrepreneurs or, or not, not really? Yeah, I work um, with a lot of people my age. Um, I am very close to 30. Um, and so that's a, that is where I'm at. A lot of people that I work with are that, that age as well. Um, I also work with professional professionals who are 30 years older than me, um, as well as some who are just starting out. So there is a broad spectrum, but yeah, I would say probably thirties and forties are, are the majority. And do you find an even male to female ratio in your work or? Oh, fascinating. Um, so when I was working in schools, it was predominantly women, um, heavily skewed. I think somewhere on the order of 90% or so was a female, um, fairly consistent with the education field by and large. When I worked um, at the nonprofit at the Chumman Institute, um, that was also majority females. Um, they did have more men, it was probably more of an 80-20 split, 85-15 split. And now that I'm working in a tech-forward healthcare company, um, that, I don't know the numbers, it's a 1,400-person company, 1,500, something like that, um, many more men. Um, so now I'm in a place where in my day-to-day -day interactions, it's probably more, um, I interface more with men than I do with women but that is a change from my prior work environments. So I always kind of end off by asking if you could give one piece of advice more specifically to the young female listeners, what would that piece of advice be? Oh gosh, I could talk about this all day because this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, one thing that I think is really important for young females is stop apologizing Stop apologizing for everything. Don't start an email with an apology. Don't end an email with an apology. If someone else doesn't understand something, it's not your problem. And, you know, I, I, there are so many things that you can do to your language that is impactful and, and communicates that you are not apologetic about your existence. So take that out of your communication, whether it's verbal or written. Um, another thing that um, I've tried to do is limit in my professional communication, the number of exclamation points I use. Um, you don't need to be so excited about everything you're doing if you're communicating your point. Um, so it, the concern that I think a lot of young women feel, myself included, to be perceived as nice or flexible or collaborative, yes, those are really important qualities to bring to the workplace, but you're also there to do a job. And so your relationships are really important, but you build um, and one of the ways that you build quality relationships is by establishing trust and establishing your confidence in your role. And so, you know, slash all of that. You don't need to throw a party emoji and everything or like the equivalent number of exclamation points. And you don't need to apologize if you're two minutes late to a meeting. Thanks for waiting. Let's get started. That's all you have to do there. Um, I think that 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 practice is so important because you really do start to internalize the things that you say um, about yourself and how you're communicating. And so um, be assertive, be direct. It's not bossy, it's not mean, it's not rude, but it is certainly better than being apologetic about everything that you're doing. Um, and that's just something I wish someone had told me because it is, though it's easier to make that change in your communication as you ascend in a company, it is challenging to do it amongst your peers. And so just cut it from the beginning. 
that's that's one piece of advice. I could probably go on for hours about the things that I've learned, but I'll I'll leave you with that. I like that. It's funny. I was actually reading something today and they were saying how some people have started using emojis when contacting people they work with to come off as nicer. And I thought it was uh, really funny. It hurts my heart. It does because <laughs> you're not there. You are not getting a paycheck to be nice. Right. You're right. just not. And so you don't want to be not nice. Um, certainly there are instances where, um, a communication that's perceived as inappropriate or aggressive, that's, that's a performance issue. But no one is saying that if you're not nice, you are that, right? And I think we probably overcorrect. Neutrality is perfectly fine, especially if you're doing a good job. And then be, if you are expressing excitement, be genuinely excited. If you are giving praise to someone on your team because they did something really good, let your exclamation points shine through there because now you're giving genuine feedback and you're, you're showing appropriate excitement. But if you are throwing in kind of that, you're, if you're sprinkling that into everything that you're saying, for one thing, you're diluting its power. Um, for another thing, you're, you're moving the focus to, um, you know, making sure I, I think at least for myself, the times that I've been overly concerned with how a message is going to be perceived, I've removed the focus from the, from the actual message that I'm trying to deliver. And so you're there ultimately to deliver that message and to do the job. And so I think, you know, I just think it's something that I, I wish I had been told earlier on because I would have saved myself a lot of strife. And um, I've got to tell you too, that as you get you know, kind of move from entry level to mid-management to upper, you're less, it's fine. You can send the one-line email and no one cares. It's, it's really a kind of um, a younger, newer to the workforce kind of approach. Just don't do it. You're fine. I'm, I promise you no one's going to be mad if you don't do it. I like that. It's actually really interesting because it was like, it's like a new thing now that people are more worried about that type of stuff and it's really funny to me yeah i think working remotely too um can be challenging as well because yeah. you lose the opportunity to see things like verbal cues or facial feedback in a lot of communication and that's how many of us are kind of aware of our of how we're being perceived or how our ideas are being perceived and so without that there is a tendency to overcompensate in other ways um it's a it's a good check for yourself about what like why you're doing or, or what the motivation is. So not to say an exclamation point is bad. I love an exclamation point. I just think that if you're doing it because you're so concerned about being um, nice or sweet or appropriate, um, for one thing, a man would never be held to that standard. Um, and that's not the job that you were, you weren't hired to be nice. Unless you're maybe like a customer service person, then maybe you're hired to be nice. I don't know, then throw exclamation points and everything. But like, <laughs> I wasn't hired at my job to be nice. And I think no one would say I'm not nice, but I don't think there needs to be an exclamation point and everything. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox, but that, that's, my, that's my exclamation point soapbox for you. I like that. I, I very much enjoyed that. So thank you so, so much for being with us today. This is Alina Peary, and tune in next time for another special guest.